0: So I, I remember I was in New Zealand and I was in this hotel and I got an email from a winery that I, that I knew a little bit. And they said, hey, we heard you're in New Zealand. because we'd really love it if you came to our winery. So I look at where it is. It's like a five-hour drive there mm. and back. And I said to him, look, it, it, there's just no way that I can... Spend a full day just coming to see you. If you want to come down to where I am and show me the wines, then that's okay. But I definitely can't come to the winery. So they said, "What if, what if we provide a helicopter? Would you come by helicopter?"
1: Fascinating. I say,
0: okay, I'll definitely do that. And it's a really stupid story, really. But I was having breakfast in the in this really you know, nice hotel. I was chatting to this couple from Australia, and I said, "I actually live in Melbourne." Blah blah blah. And the waitress comes over and says, "Oh, Mr. Ingham uh, your helicopter will be here in five minutes." <laughs> 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 this couple was like. <laughs> what is this guy? Can you pack up my beans. Yeah, exactly. And then you hear it coming, and it landed on the garden in front of the hotel, wow. and then took my
1: case. What in, a douchebag! Yeah, right. You what
0: know? absolute. Plants. I, I Plants. I, I did not feel in remotely like this was a great experience when it was happening.
1: Yeah. Founded in 2017, StartWell is Toronto's independent hub for innovators to collaborate. Our podcasts relate perspectives from the world's most diverse urban population to reflect unique insights into global business, media, and culture. Welcome to the studio, Andrew. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to have you for the 55th episode of the Startwell Podcast.
0: Almost my age.
1: You know, (laughs) (laughs) trying to keep up with you, you know, um, and for this one, I'm actually really excited to oh, be here great. in the studio with you, because I see you all the time. Yeah. We chat, we banter. Yeah, we do. We talk at the espresso bar. Definitely. Uh, and, uh, and rather than coffee, we're talking about wine today, which is one of my favorite topics. Uh, me too. But I don't think I've done an episode about wine for this series, so okay, it should be quite fun. Excellent. And you were saying before you came in uh, that uh, this is your first time looking at even this setup, uh, right? Honestly,
0: yeah. I had n- not been in here before. I'm amazed. It's incredible. It's, serious, it's a serious bit of kit you've got here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty professional, you yeah? know? I, I, can, I can see that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Andrew, let's talk. Let's go back, like, to the beginnings of oh. your supermarket adventures. Of course. Uh, before we kind of, like, paint this picture of w- the bottle that is here on the table and okay. the company that uh, that it represents. Okay. Um, where did your career begin? according to you yeah so or or what did you what did you do for my what, what did you do for your first pound um
0: i had a paper round when i was about 14 mm. <clears throat> and um i hated it right you know who wants to deliver papers you know it was in manchester in the uk it pretty much rains every day in manchester yep. and um, it was a bit of a grim experience but what i realized when i was doing that job is that there was a lot of kids that were under fourteen that wanted to do it but weren't allowed because of the you know the employment laws around child you know children working, so I ended up with five paper rounds and five people under the age of fourteen, which I then wow. subcontracted the paper rounds to.
1: You're like the Uber delivery person. Yeah, I just
0: don't. Yeah, exactly. I just that like I use it's, it's all out. I don't yeah. do it myself. Exactly. So I was my, my first pound was you know. Probably some kind of child exploitation, and <laughs> I was also a child. But yes, yeah, so that was the, that was the first. Uh, the first but that's entrepreneurial. Time. Yeah, so wow. I I think so. That was the first and sort of last time I was an entrepreneur. Mm. And um, and my first actual job I, I worked for what now is Anheuser Busch. Okay. So when my when I first went into the, the sort of workforce, that was my first ever role.
1: This was pre or post university, or so
0: I, I didn't go to university. You so did not. No, university. I did not. I left school early, so okay. I, I left school before I was supposed to. That's a, a long sorry for a total separate podcast what like
1: what form
0: uh i was 15 when i left school 15 i was 15 yeah and um wow. it was it was by sort of mutual consent i was
1: from, you, you and you the headmaster
0: me, me and had us had a good chat and we yeah. came to the agreement that perhaps it was best for me not to be there the
1: imprint of a boot was left on your buttocks
0: yeah kind of yeah yeah Both yeah. for both of us i think oh okay.
1: <laughs> so uh so i left
0: school and i ended up working for my dad who was a plumber so i just went to you know work in the family business which you know no disrespect to him he's, he's brilliant but yeah. i absolutely hated it oh <clears throat> yeah I hated it, I hated it
1: but what I, I, were, I what were the worst things like I, I i'm sure it was a trying time but yeah. like you know you were a t- teenage angst yeah and joining so dad at exactly
0: work. i you know i wanted to be i wanted to be in a band and i wanted to make art i really didn't want to be you know fitting radiators yeah. and um, you know he was, he was great he, put, he really put up with me like you know I guess he's got no choice right but it was um, it was a it was a time of Realising that you know I definitely messed up school, so that was a bit grim, and um, I was in this plumbing business that I didn't really want to be in. Yeah, and you know people want heating fitted in the summer, and you know all that kind of stuff. So you're crawling around in people's lofts or under the floor fitting pipes. It's absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. So I had an agreement with him that I would I would go through some kind of apprenticeship. Finish it, yeah, and then he would let me go off and do whatever I wanted to do, and so I, I did that, and I went off traveling. So I traveled for a, maybe two and a half years, of backpacking, wow. and I all around Europe, all around the world. I went, I went wow. all around the world. So,
1: how did you def- at that age, like how how did you think about where you wanted to go?
0: Um, I wanted to go to places that. I knew people had not that I in my sort of circle had not been to. So I went to the Philippines and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And wow. it was when I got there I realized, oh, it's only people from where I live that aren't here. Everybody else is, you know, it's a well-trodden path. Um, but they yeah, had a great I had a great time. I, I worked my way around all, all through sort of Asia and Australia and Um, around the other side, obviously this way, you know, Canada and and the US and down into Central America, South America, you know, all through, all through that, and was away for about two and a half years in total. And so I consider that my education.
1: Wow. That's so fascinating. Because at that point, your contemporaries of your age were probably just going into university if they were. Yeah, they were. Right? That's
0: right. They were all... They were, were like all, 18, 19, and yeah, you came back from
1: around the world.
0: Exactly. That's right. They were all... When, when I sort of came back and got into the workforce with Ann Bush, um, yeah, you're right. They were all off to university or, you know, wow. being sensible. <laughs> and I'd, I, I, I was a totally changed person, you know, I went as, you know... Well, yeah,
1: your eyes must have been like this yeah, big.
0: I, I, yeah, I went with a serious attitude problem and came back a changed man, I would say. Amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. I would not change it for the world. I mean, it's pretty, pretty tough, but, you know, I just, I just didn't want to stop. I just right. kept on going. And there's loads of times I thought maybe it's time to go home mm-hmm. and i just have a word of myself and say, no, just just go to the next place. Home was so, the road. A little bit like that. Yeah, it was a look back on it now, perhaps with a little bit of rose-tinted glasses. And, you know, I remember I I could only afford to eat fruitcake because it had the most amount of calories in it at one point. You know, that kind of stuff. But
1: Along the way, you mean on the road. Yeah, along the way. So you got a little bit of money from your dad to set you off. Yeah, then, I, a
0: little bit to get going, to, you know, from the salary that he paid me, which was, I, I remember it was like twenty-seven pounds a week. It was, you know, it wasn't really much. Right, but I had enough for a one-way ticket somewhere and and a bit of pocket money, and I, I just went and started working. As soon as I arrived anywhere, the first thing I did was look for a job. You know,
1: amazing. Yeah, I wasn't I
0: wasn't on the beach enjoying myself. I so was, you
1: were traveling, working, earning your way. Correct. Yeah. And then what was the point when you came back and then got the job? So a
0: couple, a couple of things happened. I I was in the middle of the outback of Australia. And, um, I was in this sort of youth hostel and that this, this guy comes and sits at a table and we're, you know, we're having, we're having dinner yeah. and he, he had, he had a boiled potato. That was it. Right. So he's got boiled potato and he yeah. just you know eats it. And then he's really positive. Everything's great. I yeah. said, you just having a potato. And he says, yeah, yeah, that's all I eat. I was like, you're only- Potato diet. And he just, was
1: not Irish.
0: No, no. I don't know where he was from. Yeah. <laughs> he was just a man, you know, a guy on the road and he'd been doing it for like 10 years. Eating, know? eating potatoes. Just- Just on the road and he wanted to be on the road as much as he could. So Mm -hmm. his expenses were absolute bare minimum, which meant he just ate a potato for his dinner. That was it.
1: There you go. Yeah. That was like me with my lunch earlier. Yeah, right. (laughs) Eating potato chips. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I
0: should probably just eat potatoes, but anyway. Um, So uh, yeah, I just saw this guy and I was like, oh my God, I think I might be turning into you. And that was that kind probably. of the wake-up call. Yeah, a little bit like time, time to actually get real. I think.
1: Yeah, who wants yeah. to be potato man when they're an older gentleman? Not, you know? not me, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so, AB. Yeah. So, what came, was that job? Yeah, so I came back to the UK. or went back to the
0: UK and got a job at uh, Boddington's Brewery in Manchester. Lovely. So the, yeah, we're, went to work, work there, and it was owned by a different company briefly until they they bought it and it became part of the big AB and you know Bev. Sort of right. empire that it is now, yeah. and um, I just I just sort of worked from from the start of the ladder. Really, you know, I it was a sort of a sales role. I used to go and visit pubs and convince them. Like to drink regional, Oddington's. kind of yeah, extremely extremely regional, just in Manchester. Huh. And um, and start off there, and 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 what I realised was I had this from somewhere. And I actually actually if you'd asked me at any point in my life up to then, you know, where would this come from? I yeah. I, I would not have known. But I had this really strong work ethic you know i could really connect with people quite easily because mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're backpacking you have to make friends with pe- people immediately like right? they right. they your friends straight away and so i was just really able to talk to people very casually you know no non-threatening and also at the same time get them to buy Boddingtons, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So it I just, Were those chats over Boddingtons?
0: Sometimes they were over a few pints of Boddingtons. Right, that was Abs- happened. Absolutely, yeah. It was the good old days. It was the you 90s. Try you the know? product. You know? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Like, it was great. I, it was successful. They gave me a car and all that kind of stuff, hmm. you know? So it was... It Was, was it painted with the logo of, of it, the beer. it wasn't it wasn't no. the boddington am have been a deal breaker you know <laughs> they used to have a um if you were the top performing salesperson in in the year yeah then you could use their private reg for the car which was beer one
1: which i which that's pretty I, cool. thankfully never oh, no i never had it thankfully <laughs> probably get pulled over a lot by the cops yeah, yeah right exactly
0: yeah and i would have had a boot full of beer as well oh my know? god so um yeah so it was it was a it was an interesting job and I found that I was actually quite good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I could talk, definitely talk to people and sell Bonningtons, and I just I just kept on getting promoted. It it just be, it was became a bit of a sort of running joke really that I would do a job for 6 months, it would be broken, I'd fix it. Yeah. I'd put it into a good position and then they'd hand it to somebody else and get me to come fix the next thing and I'd mm. just keep on doing that and that has pretty much defined my career up to this point was fixing things and moving on.
1: What do you think is the um maybe cultural aspect of that kind of whoever the manager uh, level was mm-hmm. at whatever organization you were with, you know, from the brewery onwards, that enabled that kind of like, yeah, what was that culture that enabled that promotion? Yeah, because that's, that's today I don't know if that exists. Yeah, no,
0: you've actually hit on something really really important to me there actually yeah. that I didn't expect is there was one individual that changed my life Oh. Boddingtons. Okay, this guy, his name is Keith Ellis. Hi, Keith. Um, and he, um, he was my land manager at the time, and I had a pretty unique way of, of working. You know, it's the nineties, right? Everyone's walking around in suits and ties and all that sort of stuff, and I yeah. was definitely a jeans and t-shirt with their
1: mobile phones.
0: Yeah, they had, we all had the big Nokia phone, you know, <laughs> with a snake on it. Um, and he he accepted my individuality, you know, I didn't want to be the guy in the suit, you know. I just wasn't really interested in that. And but
1: and a lot of Did you have a mustache?
0: No, I didn't have a mustache. (laughs) No, no, I still don't think I could get a mustache going. Um
1: You're either a mustache guy or you're not a mustache guy.
0: I wasn't I don't think I've ever been a mustache guy as much as I would like to be. Yeah. Um yeah he 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 just let let me sort of be an individual in a very corporate, you know, sort of stagnant environment really. Mm. And you know I I wanted to have to be creative Uh, that was important to me like i always would do art you know as a hobby on the side and i wanted creativity in all aspects of my my life needs to be needs to be there Mm -hmm. and so he he really sort of you know empowered me to think that that was okay to to creative and you know we when we became part of an Busch, you've got these brands like budweiser and right stellar artois and massive there,
1: global brands these huge
0: nobody's supposed to mess with yeah and and they'd let me they let me mess with them a little bit you know i would what's I an would, example yeah well i remember I, I i decided that there was a group of customers that were kind of um you know they weren't buying so much from from me or from Anhauser Busch at the time these are these are pubs right right but they wouldn't would have been buying from a competitor mm-hmm. and so you know, I would go and visit them, but they were like, well, you know, we, we buy more, whatever brand, you know, than we buy of yours. So I decided it wasn't really worth my time. Keep mm-hmm. on going every every month, having the same conversation, asking how his dog is, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I just to say, warm him up for a yeah, cold conversation. Exactly. So I started to design my own postcards, but using
1: Anheuser-Busch's brands. Okay.
0: And I remember one that that... To so,
1: mail out to these people you didn't want to visit in person. Yeah, I'm
0: just not going to visit you anymore. I'm just going to send you a postcard. It's ch- a stamp is cheaper than me going, right? And so I, I would design these postcards, have them printed up, write on them, don't forget, don't forget me, and you know, that kind of stuff, right? That's great. Nothing, nothing and I remember one was for Stella Artois, and it was basically just these big red lips, and it said, you know, something about hot lips. I can't quite remember exactly mm-hmm. what, well, but some something a bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, and it really worked. They they thought they were funny. And so what happened is they'd come and say, Hey, you should come next time. And then at slowly but surely all uh, these pubs they started. Your they
1: probably pass it around, yeah. Maybe it put it behind up. the bar. they had
0: it pinned up, all these things, right? And yeah. so my boss was like, Well, you're you're really messing with these brands that they're not comfortable with, mm. but nobody can deny the success.
1: So it's like the difference between sales and marketing, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was supposed to go and do the you know the steps of the call. I had to go through the the, the log. Right, I wasn't supposed to send postcards that I had drawn myself. You know, like that wasn't really um, that wasn't really part of the the Budweiser <laughs> brand. You know, uh, criteria. So, yeah. but they realised it was working, and then, so they adopted it for, mm. for, for broader and they that said, particular okay, thing. Yeah, they said, okay, look, maybe we won't send hot lips, but maybe we will send. You know, some kind of postcards to right. customers that we're we're forgetting about.
1: So direct mail was you might have brought direct mail to AB. <laughs> yeah, I could have done. Wow. <laughs> oh
0: dear me, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it definitely worked, and so they yeah. they they enabled me to make those kind of choices yeah. and made me feel like I could make them. Right. And make make
1: bolder ones. You know. And so then from there, like, how long were you in that position?
0: I worked for them for nearly 10 years. And then um, I, I moved over to it for Heineken for a short while, for a year. Absolutely hated it. From start to finish, it was yeah. the, from day one to day 365. Which Heineken's like
1: the, the, the IBM of the beer world, yeah, from just, what I understand. Like yeah, my, it's my friend, uh, Aleem Ladakh, who used to, uh, who now, this is a guy in Nairobi who, who started a microbrewery. He was always his oh, dream. It yeah. was always his dream. His dad is a Cordon Bleu chef. Uh, one of those guys, when you sleep over at their house, yeah. you wake up in the morning and you get some amazing meal, oh, wow. you know? Yeah. And um, and so he was always instilled with the values of culinary expertise. Yeah. And so when he became a brewmaster uh, and started working the rounds, Heineken had him going optimizing breweries across Africa. Oh, right. Yeah, that's and cool. So he spent like four years, five years, I don't know how long it was, going and fixing like you can't brew Guinness in the Congo. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> yeah. But like, why would you? It's, it's just immoral, you know? And uh, so he gave up. He threw right. in the towel. Oh, right. After a number of years. And he said, I'm going to start a microbrewery. And it was cool. a big political revolution because, uh, the brewery, Kenya Breweries Limited in Kenya that, that made Tusker, which is the number one brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, had government connections, was the mm-hmm. only brewery. That's right. It was yeah. the number two brewery ever yeah. in East Africa. Yeah. Or I guess in Kenya. And, um, right. Yeah. But Heineken kind of like propelled him into wanting to change the picture. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: They, they, they really wanted me, you know, I think my experience there made me feel that I'd had enough of it. You yeah. know, because the first day I, I, I had to go over to Amsterdam and, you know, in the head office, and it was all very intense and formal. It felt like I was in a step back to the 1960s. Mm. Everyone's, you know, again, all in the suits and ties, and I sat. With mustaches. You probably, actually, maybe in Holland, they <laughs> might have had mustaches. And, uh, and I ended up, you know, having this, this cup of tea, and it was in a Heineken-branded cup and saucer with some, you know, some Heineken plate of sandwiches and and it, the whole experience was really intense and i ended up having a nosebleed in the middle of this meeting because Damn. the way that they so, were operating just was had just an aneurysm just yeah it's just like <laughs> i'm out already day 1 and uh, and they did they really didn't like my you know, my creativity or yeah. my, you know, t shirt and jeans style. They like, we just did not gel at all. It was a pretty grim. How did that yeah. feel
1: like though as an employee? Like you're now kind of like, oh my God, what did I Well, I
0: felt like I made this huge mistake because yeah. I'd I'd spent ten years eight years at Anhouser Bush and and then I, you know, I'd left for the money. They promised me extra money, great. They promised me a BMW, great. You know, I'm thinking, okay, oh, this is this is this is what I what I should want, right? This is yeah. what everyone aspires to. They, Wait, what
1: was the second thing that they promised you?
0: A BMW.
1: I, I thought come. you said that. Yeah, right. See, a BMW. <laughs> a BMW. I thought, wow, this is wow. amazing, right? They're Does that give- still happen? I don't know. I mean, hey, lad. Yeah. This is where you want to be. Yeah, We'll give you the keys to a brand new BMW. Exactly.
0: It was that was kind of it. And you know, I was like, of course. Yeah. I'll take it. Where do I sign, <laughs> you know? Great. in for it. Brilliant. And um and it's just, just a year of hell for me. It was absolutely awful. I, was, I hated it every second of it. Yeah. And and I think they I think them two, to be fair. So you know, similar to my uh, end of my school career, we had a similar conversation.
1: Right, <laughs> out you went, pretty much happily. Onto happily trotted greener up. pastures.
0: Yeah, so I um, I'd been working with this uh, with a company called at the time. Well, I think they are still called Metro in Germany. So they're a huge, big European retailer. They mm. got like it's a bit like um, a grocer, like Costco. Okay, but oh, European, bulk, like yeah, bulk, grocery. exactly. That's right. And I'd been working with them and supplying yeah. them and all that kind of stuff. And I could see that what they were doing was didn't make any sense. Didn't mm. make any sense to me. So I, I was trying to speak to the buyer and get them to, you know, why don't you try this idea and try that idea? And she was just, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you don't know that my pressures. Absolutely not. Uh, and so I just happened to catch the buying director in the reception of their of the yeah. head office one day and I just grabbed him and said, hey, can I just have a word? You know, I don't want to tell tales out of school. You know, I'd, I don't care really about about that, but y- you're doing it wrong. And yes. actually, if you just put these four things in place, you'd be doing it right. And he said, okay, why don't you just come back tonight at half seven? And I was like, okay, what for? He said, I just want to talk to you when there's no one around. Oh. So I was like, okay, so I'll have Okay, sounds a bit sinister, but I'll I'll go for it. Yeah, and so I I turned up, and he said, "Okay, if you were the buyer here, what would you do?" Uh, So I just went into a full, you know, thing. He said, "Okay, when can you start?" Brilliant. Yeah, so I at that time they were they were the world's fourth biggest retailer at the time.
1: Yeah, German based. German based, yeah, across uh, Across the EU. Across oh, the world, yeah, they got. I don't know. Oh, sure. Metro. There's a well in Canada. No, no, we have the, a French things, brand. It's not a, the same com- as those guys. I shouldn't say French. We we have a Quebecois brand. Yes, natural.
0: Yeah, it's not those. Okay. They they've got places in you know China and Russia and all across Europe, France, Italy, Spain, UK. So I went to work for them as their... I like as, how
1: China and Russia and people's heads is always kind of the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. similar. <laughs> yeah. So I, I worked for them as a as a beer buyer, and
0: mm. um, and it was my first. My first time on that side of the table, you know, I'd always worked in in a sales or marketing kind of role. And then also I'm on on the opposite side of the table. But I I went into it just completely, you know, open. I said, I don't really know anything about being a
1: buyer. There's a job, a single job dedicated to buying beer for, this is global. Mm -hmm.
0: So I I used bought beer for the UK and I worked on own brand projects for their global beer business.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. That must have been fascinating to it's actually it's look at the, the potentiality of kind of commanding that yeah, you, buying the, power.
0: You're exactly. You're like the fourth biggest retailer in the world, right? So when you when you call Heineken, who we've not had a good relationship mm-hmm. with, him, and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your business here. Um, they they, they
1: responded. It, they take it seriously. <laughs> it's a big purchase order there.
0: Quite large, yeah. Quite serious.
1: Wow. And also, of course, dealing with different like multi-territory purchases where That's you're right. actually considering the taste patterns of the customer. That's right. You're Everyone's a little bit at, different, that's right. How was like what was the data that you were working off Amazing.
0: of? Amazing. They 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 had they really invested in that sort of stuff and you now, know. this w- is now in
1: the early two thousands? Yeah, it would have
0: been early two thousands. Okay. Um probably mid two thousands actually. Just just maybe like two thousand four something like that. Mm-hmm. Um I think that they were—they um, really invested in it, like ahead of their ahead of their time compared to other supermarkets I've worked for. That's mm-hmm. not quite as good as what Walmart do. I hear they're pretty excellent, but they—everything yeah, was at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. I was very much as a buyer, empowered to find insight and information, create a story or whatever, and then go and take some action. And cool. that was all there, which was which was brilliant. All customer data, and obviously it's. You know, it's like a Costco, so it's a, like a membership, or it is a membership. So, you see all the transaction data for everybody. Mm. You see it all. So you can see. Not only can you see like the demographics of the people, but what they're spending and what else they spend. And you know, had big, big, huge sort of computer created charts that had you know colored depending on certain metrics and size and shape and mm-hmm. you could what what if i took this out of the range what would happen and it would all move around based on wow you know the last five years data or whatever it's pretty amazing
1: that is amazing so
0: it was i really enjoyed that side of
1: it actually that was the year that the first color blackberry came out oh really yeah i had a blackberry in that job i think 2004 what happened to those guys i know <laughs> I want to watch that movie. Yeah, I saw
0: a movie. Yeah, it looks apparently
1: good. they're like breaking up the company. That was the other news this week. Oh, really? Yeah, but regardless, yes. Let's not bring up the ghosts of Canada's past. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our discussion is far more important and interesting. I don't
0: know. I kind of like my
1: BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah, I miss that thing, man. Yeah. Um, I miss the keys. I miss the right? keys. Just a bit easier. I missed the keys. Yeah. And that it scroll, it was kind of fun. Yeah. I had the 7100, uh, which was like the first color one. Yeah. And then that's why I remember that. in, in right. I moved to New York in 2004. Right. And that was one of my stipulations of this of this job. They weren't paying me much money, but I said, you have to pay for my cellular phone. Right. And I want this top of the line phone. Yeah. And it almost—I almost didn't get the job because they didn't want to spend the thousand dollars on the phone. <laughs> and I remember it was a big issue. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, the, the the finance director gave me the phone like she had gone to T-Mobile to get it herself. Oh, really? And she was very Three like white knuckles. Like, <laughs>
0: ca- yeah,
1: very careful with a thousand dollars today. Can you imagine if you tell anyone? Yeah, right. To be careful with a thousand dollars worth of product. Yeah, throw them around. They don't care.
0: Although the bounce, BlackBerry would have just bounced back and far, oh, I'm sure.
1: Super tough that
0: thing. Right. It and totally. it
1: was the first phone that had Google Maps on it, oh. which saved my ass being someone who had just oh, moved right. to New York.
0: I don't think mine had Google Maps on it.
1: No, that was the first year, first product that had oh, it. right. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But we digress. Of course. Uh, <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's like 2004, 2005. Um, you are looking at... All sorts of angles of the business that you didn't see earlier, right? Yes. On this kind of like alcohol right. yeah. distribution side of Exactly.
0: Open my eyes to the reality of, of retailing. You know, when my boss at the time said, you know, he's a German guy, and said, we, we don't add value. That's not our job. Mm. Our job is we buy a box, we put a box on the shelf and we sell a box. Don't add value. Mm-hmm. I thought that was Crazy, like, because I, you know, come from and as a butcher, all about adding value to to a product that, if it's not in the packaging, you wouldn't really know one from another, right? right. And so I was, uh, I found that fascinating. That that was like
1: the the mentality, a whole different perception,
0: totally different. I I absolutely loved it, and I and I remember. You know, been in negotiations with with suppliers who I'd been in their situation. I'd sat in that chair speaking to people like me. Mm. So I had this I had this sort of empathy, but then I also had this, well, no one ever made it easy for me. So why should I make it easy for you? Yeah. You know, so that this this dynamic was going on. And I remember you know I, I was totally open to it. you teach me everything I don't know you teach me everything and they they really helped me to be to be what I considered to be a good buyer at the time mm-hmm. and um, I remember we were dealing with Heineken and and they got these these two sort of German consultants to come and help me in the negotiation and we were asking for you know a ridiculous amount of money extra margin all, all the usual sorts of stuff and we said, We'll have a meeting with them and we'll get them to present to us, but they must send the presentation the day before, mm. right? So this presentation comes in email, it's like 50 slides long, it's all about their brand activations and all the great stuff that consumers sort of care about, right? Yeah. And then the very last page was, was the deal, how okay. much money they were going to give us, right?
1: It was like whopping.
0: It was, yeah, it was, a big, it was a big number. And so we sat in a, you know, this big, huge room and big screen, and then we, we put the last slide up and we said, right, okay, thanks for coming, we really want to talk to you about the deal. And this guy from says, well, no, there's a whole presentation. What about the presentation? And I said, well, we're going to talk about the deal. That's what we're here for. Right. Mm. And then he said, no, 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 we need to talk about how we're going to get to this. And this German guy who'd said nothing in the meeting and didn't say anything else after this, he just leans in and he says, irrelevant. And it was, to me, it was like, ah, there's a way, there's like a really efficient way to deal with this. Right. I don't need to listen to all this stuff. No, I don't need to care about all this stuff. I just need to, care about adding value to my customers, mm-hmm. even though you know, we don't add value, the values in the prices are cheap. Sure. You know? So if you give me more money, I can make them cheaper, which makes it easier for yeah. the customer, right? Yeah. And once that penny dropped, I was away. That's exciting. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was good. And so how many years did you have with that brand?
0: So I'd, I worked for them for about three years, and then I got approached by a supermarket chain in, in Australia. And this was part of, uh, I, I got this reputation of being like the fixer, you know, like the, 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 I, can, I can take something that's broken, I can patch it all up, yeah. put it in and put it all good, and then pass it to someone to, you know, run with it, right? And so they contacted me and said, we'd like to come and be our beer buyer for
1: a supermarket chain in Australia. Pause. Question. Uh, at Metro, which was the German brand, yes? Mm-hmm. What was the zero to hero story, though? What did you fix? Um, so it was just a, you know,
0: declining customer base. It was okay. they sold to professionals and you know so sort of retailers and to individuals that were members, and it was just slowly declining as you know supermarkets getting bigger. Online was starting to poke its head around mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know these guys had never invested in online at all. They couldn't even buy anything online from them, and so it was just no one had really gone to the supply base and said, right, first of all, these cost prices are not appropriate. Second of all, because we've been failing, we've been chasing it a little bit. So 50% of the range, I would say, when I started was there because they needed money and they'd done deals. Mm. And these suppliers had said, well, if you list these products, we'll give you this money. And so we want the money so we don't care about what's on the shelf that's interesting and then also the customers see all this random stuff on the shelf like well we don't really want that and then they're ramming more stuff in than can fit yeah. so the availability of stuff they want is not very good yeah so and then that makes them well if you can't even buy what i want well, i'm even coming here you know it
1: does sound very 1970s yeah and uh so you cleaned it all up mm-hmm. and you got a call
0: yeah, got a call from Coles in, in Australia. So I went to work for those guys, and, and I remember... And you went there? You moved there? I moved there, yeah. I moved to Melbourne. Okay. And um, I, I remember my first day I arrived, and I was, I was there to be the beer buyer. Mm-hmm. And I arrived, and they say, yeah, okay, we've, we've, we've sort of changed our mind a little bit. We don't want you to be the beer buyer anymore. And I was like, oh, God, I've worked in beer for like, you know, 15 years. So.
1: I don't know how to use a mop. <laughs>
0: yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly and they said we went to be our wine buyer and I was like oh my god this is a disaster
1: complete switch yeah did you drink wine at the time I mean, I, I I would have socially drank it, but no, did you no have? Problem. You, but did you have a? Well, no,
0: because I'd I'd worked with wine buyers at Metro, and they were all these like highly sort of sophisticated characters that had done all these gone on these wine courses, right. and it's a very fancy you know, kind yeah, of yeah. Spoke a certain language that you know that I didn't really care about, yeah. And so you know, I, I was sort of down and dirty with own brand beer. Really, I wasn't getting you know, too excited about the latest release from Burgundy, right? You know, so. Yeah. I just said, oh, this is this is ridiculous. I don't know anything about wine, and you know, and I know people. You know, I've worked with wine buyers, and that, that's definitely not me. Mm-hmm. And their view was, hey, look, there's a whole team of people that now report to you that are like that, and we don't need one of those. We need someone that's got your background, your beer background, someone that cares about customers and you know, cost and end to end, you know, distribution, all the that systems. kind of stuff. Just get get on with actually making sense of it. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot, and mm-hmm. they they said, well, don't worry, we'll send you on all the wine courses and all that kind of stuff. So I, I did some of those, which is why this looks like this because I hated it from the start. <laughs> and um, and it was great. I actually actually really enjoyed it. Mel- Melbourne is a beautiful city. You know, it's I can't cool. imagine
1: how amazing. It would be to be there.
0: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I, I had friends that lived there from my old backpacking days that I reconnected with, and mm-hmm. all just smoothly just glided into life in Melbourne. You right. know, it was p- pretty nice. And um, and the and the job, whilst it was pretty challenging, you know, they had some serious demands. And also, that was my first real supermarket. Mm. You know, like it was real customers that actually just choose to come in because they're doing their weekly family shop not necessarily members that are buying for their corner shop or right. restaurant or
1: whatever. And do they have differentiated retail product? Like were there kind of the neighborhood high street store yeah, and yeah, then they also had, the big store for the weekend buying?
0: Yeah, they had yeah, they had all that sort okay. of stuff and okay. lots of different, you know, clusters of customer types and demographics and all across Australia, you know, out, out in the middle of nowhere and in the middle of the city and everywhere. And then they had different banners depending on, you know, whether it was the supermarket or the, or the liquor store oh, okay. or the big box liquor store or the premium liquor store, all different sort of versions of it. So right. it was for four four banners. There's a billion dollars Aussie dollars of, of spending power that I was responsible for, a team of 15 wine buyers, all that kind of candy. How much is a kangaroo buck? <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't know. <laughs> It wasn't very much back then, I don't think. <laughs> like relative to Canadian dollars, you know? I actually don't know. Are they on no. par? I don't I actually don't know. I have no idea. I
0: no. I remember it was an, a billion Aussie dollars, which might be like, you know, five hundred thousand Canadian or a billion Canadian. I don't
1: yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's quite a lot.
0: It was it was pretty big, yeah. yeah. It was pretty big. But I, I enjoyed it and I, and apart from the courses and got to know the wine industry in Australia really well. Yeah. Um and you know, I went through a, a big turnaround with those guys. They they were trying to transform what they were, what us and what they were doing, and and um, actually was quite enjoyable. Um, yeah, it, it was fine. And then decided to uh, to come back to the UK. So I'm, I had three years, almost three years in Australia. Got it's where it was a five-year project, but you know, by three years I've well well had enough of it. Right. Um, right. Came back to UK, went to work for a supermarket chain in the UK, Morrison's. Morrison's okay yeah and uh worked on the wine team there and that was you know sort of a pain by numbers really i would like sort of got the playbook now you've got the the, Mm -hmm. the work that Metro had done with the turnaround that Coles had done rammed that into one idea and that just became a playbook. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, we just we do we do this today and this tomorrow and this on, on Wednesday, and then keep on.
1: You know, it's so, more like you're feeling yourself a consultant than perhaps. Yes,
0: I, I actually it was it was quite an interesting part of my career really because it was at, through that role at Morrison's I was wondering, you know, do I do I really want to progress? You know, do I want to chase the next job mm. like everybody was doing? Of course, and. I, I wasn't really sure you know I, I I definitely sort of had a bit of a wobble there as to whether I do I want to go and push myself to that next thing or am I just really happy working in this industry mm-hmm. doing something that I can do turning it around you know and so I thought at Morrison's yes I'll I'll continue in that vein and so it was um, it was a good job we we, we won Countless awards, lots of write-ups in the in the news about the wine offer at, at Morrison's and how good it was. And you know, I remember the Guardian had, had written, "You know, there's one supermarket that doesn't rip customers off when it comes to wine, and okay. it's Morrison's." You know, It kind of makes you feel like, oh, actually, that's yeah, achieving you're something, proud, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, it was it was a good it was a good experience in terms of the the work that needed to be done and what we actually did. I, I did enjoy it. Um, same thing happened as what happened at Coles, yeah. You know. Got to year three, and everything that we set out to do on day one was achieved. Literally everything, like it was performing, it was making money, it was a good range, customers were responding, awards were being won for the for the total offer for the wines, mm-hmm. was traveling all over the world, you know, buying wines from pretty much everywhere, like it was all good. But it was all it was all achieved, and I had, I had to decide: okay, do I do I push for a promotion? Do I? What is the promotion? What, what would that actually look like? Yeah. And 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 actually, I did I did talk about it, and they said yeah, you know, maybe you could you could go and look after the cleaning category. And I'm thinking, I've worked in beer, wines, and spirits now for coming up to 20 years. Do I, do I really yeah. want to now go and do household cleaning products? I'm not really sure that's for me. So I left those guys and went to work for the, one of the UK's biggest pub companies. Ah. Um, same, managed their wine offer, ran, ran all that. So this thing. is an
1: amalgamated, and like, th- this is a company that has a bunch of pubs.
0: Yeah, so they had they had about mm, 1,400 pubs that were they owned and... They managed, what? they had like 1400. managers. Yeah, about 1,400 that they, they owned and managed. Wow. And they had a manager in them and we prescribed wow. everything that they did. The, the menu, the way they
1: operated, everything. And these are probably multi-brand because a lot of these might oh, be yeah, heritage yeah, there's
0: probably, pubs. Yeah, like eight or nine different brands of, of pub from, you know, really entry-level great value kind of places all the way up to super premium city center london you know just behind buckingham palace kind of kind of pubs you know and so um yeah 1400 of them and then another maybe at least a thousand probably more that they owned but they rented you know rented out to tenants and they would they had to buy their products but they could choose what they were yeah yeah so i managed all the wine for all that and that that was that was cool too you know it was an interesting It was different because it was no longer talking about customers but talking about guests. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a different mindset, right? You know, yeah. And and they they'd been through similar things. They were going for a turnaround. The wine offer had been pretty much devalued to the what's the cheapest wine we could possibly buy? You know, Mm. and and then they put it in well. Let's put it in a nicer bottle, bit of a bit of a thicker glass. You know, a nicer label, but still still bad wine. And you know, customers see see through that. They go go to a pub and spend good money on a bottle of wine and it's rubbish mm-hmm. you know you think well so i i worked really hard there to, to i'll say so to myself but i worked hard to improve the quality so if you actually if you're a customer and you decided to spend a little bit more for whatever reason mm-hmm. you were rewarded by actually being better so that was the big piece of
1: work for, with those guys it's interesting though because i would um i would always expect as a customer that when i go somewhere and i look at the list I have a means of kind of negotiating or figuring out what I know or what I would expect, hmm. uh, you know, based off of kind of varietal and, you know, right. terroir uh, and house. Exactly. So it's interesting because, like, in this bulk buying scenario where you're kind of commissioning almost OEM wine, yep. uh, it throws that out of whack. So you kind of like yeah. the customer's guesstimating a little bit, right?
0: Well, what happens is, and, you know, I spend a lot of time in pubs, some of my own you know, choice and mm-hmm. some of theirs, but at what I noticed when listening to customers ordering wine is they'd come and say, what's the cheapest wine you've got? I'll have that. Right. So that's the first thing. Second thing they say is Pinot Grigio. What's the, how much is the Pinot? I'll have the Pinot oh, okay. Grigio. Right. And not really much else. So trying to convince people to, you know, spend a little bit more and have something a bit more special is
1: <laughs> pretty, <laughs> hard, pretty hard work. <laughs> That sounds so far, but I know exactly what you mean. That's exactly <laughs> it, isn't it? But they
0: they did things. It was just some really basic things. Like they had Pinot Grigio as their entry level wine, so their cheapest wine was the one that everyone asked for. Yeah. And so so why don't we why don't we instead of giving doing that why don't we just put a very generic white wine at, so at, at the entry level mm-hmm. that's good you know as great for for what it is you know it's good good worth worth the money. But let's make the Pinot Grigio the second or third on the list, and buy one that's better. So when the customer comes in, they're either going to be loyal to the price point. Right. Here's one for you, mm-hmm. or to Pinot Grigio, it's here. Yeah, right. And what happened is, as soon as we implemented that idea, what happened was customers who wanted Pinot Grigio
1: traded up mm-hmm.
0: and then said, "Wow, this is this is actually great."
1: But it's so UK too. It's really <laughs> it's so funny. Maybe it's not just UK, but like the idea that people buy, you know. Their their taste is aligned with a specific varietal. Yeah, it's kind of funny to me because, you know, I mean, it's understandably it's it's kind of like an uneducated palate, right? It's it, it exactly that. Which, by the way, is pretty much every customer. Because the variance within the varietal is ridiculous. So you know,
0: there's certain great. Now I'm going to get technical. Yeah, and I don't. I really don't want to do that, but I will.
1: Certain, you can know stuff and still value yeah, simplicity.
0: Exactly, I think that's the key. There's certain grapes that lend themselves to a very narrow taste profile. Yeah. Pinot Grigio is one. Yeah. Sauvignon Blanc is another. Malbec is another, right? These grapes, if you buy a, a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, whatever the brand is, kind of very similar in style, right. right? And so customers trust that because they don't really know about wine. They don't really care about wine either. And so they know, well, I bought that before and mm-hmm. I liked it Yeah. and that's good enough for me. Yeah. And it's too much of a risk to go anywhere else Mm -hmm. because these are not cheap products right and so Sauvignon Blanc does really well Pinot Grigio does really well and Malbec does really well because of those reasons take a grape like Chardonnay you can mess with that as much as you like and has been messed with and you know a Chardonnay from France is different than a Chardonnay from Australia is different than one that's been okayed all this kind of stuff happens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so customers just don't trust it so never drink Chardonnay becomes becomes a thing and customers lean towards the grape varietals that actually they trust And I think that is both what is magic about the wine industry Mm -hmm. and its biggest sort of hindrance, really, is customers don't really care and they stick to what they know.
1: And this kind of takes us towards your venture. That's right. Because after that stint with the pub company...
0: Yes, yeah, so I went, worked for a supermarket chain in Hong Kong okay. that had supermarkets all over Asia, so southern China, Hong Kong, wow. Cambodia, Vietnam, Singapore, Amazing. all around that area. And I ran their uh, beers, wines and spirits buying team for a couple of years.
1: Well, that's now a whole left field thing because <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's probably a lot of local alcohols as well that people were interested in, yeah, there's, the regional there, stuff. Exactly,
0: there was, there, there was both. There was
1: snakes and vermin
0: there, in it? There was not quite that bad, but almost... Certainly, with things in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was the Asian Asian beer, wines, and spirits, and then there was you know the stuff that I was used to. Right. So there's definitely two two, th- two categories within that.
1: Definitely Had a whole shelf of just things with like different types of oranges. Absolutely, five hundred different oranges in each different bottle. Absolutely, yeah. And we it was need all, them all, all in this region. Yeah,
0: and stuff that basically is paint stripper. You know, yeah. Take one sip and that's it. You're done for the day. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: What an eye opener though. Yeah, it
0: was pretty amazing. It was a really interesting, interesting place at that time because I arrived on the day of the there was a protest with a million people who were on the streets. Amazing. And I arrived on that day. In Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, yeah. So I was going to my apartment that they'd lined up for me to stay at when I first got there and I couldn't cross the road because there was a million people walking down the street, you know, Literally. in protest. Yeah, and I remember the first night, the the, the protest turned into a, like a mini riot, really. And you got these these people out there; they were wearing ye- yellow helmets and gas masks and body vests, and the police were throwing tear gas, and they were throwing them back. And I was like in this huge skyscraper, looking out my window at basically a, a riot, and it was my first night, and I was thinking, okay, this is this I is going to be yeah, this might be interesting.
1: This is what, twenty eighteen or something?
0: It was a couple um, of years before the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, just it was just before the pandemic yeah, like a right. year or eighteen months before the pandemic, that's right. Yeah, I recall this. Yeah, so it was um it was a big, big thing at the time, you know, with what was going on there. And I had, you know, I had People working for me, all all local people.
1: This was Um, all timed around China, you know, taking control. That's
0: right, exactly. That's that's what was happening. They they had this, you know, uh, one country, two systems Mm -hmm. um, policy for Hong Kong, and they were slowly winding that back. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the local community were not really totally comfortable with it and it was you know that's what caused it really mm. but it was pretty it was it was pretty bad you know uh, uh, some some days i remember i didn't couldn't go to work because the, the riots were happening and i would watch it live on tv and i'd recognize what was going on and you had to remote work yeah i had to work from home those days <laughs> exactly i had to use zoom <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> and then what uh, what brought you here to toronto Covid, so I I met my partner in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. She's
0: she's from Toronto. Okay, and um, and then when it was covid, covid kicks off, and we were um, we were at home watching the news, and Justin Trudeau came on and said, he famously, uh, if you're Canadian and you're overseas, it's time to come home. And then I looked around, She, she was packing a bag.
1: And you're like, <laughs> wait, let me wait, come
0: with you. Know, no, 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 it's fine. There was literally no cases in Hong Kong. Like it was, it was you know virtually nothing at that stage. I said, COVID's not even here, and I need to go back. Madness. So, so she came back, and then you know I stayed. I actually stayed there for another year in uh, in Hong Kong because I wanted to finish out what I'd started. Right. So um, we we were on Zoom every day and. I came in and visited at one point in the middle of lockdown and all that kind of stuff happened, um, and then finally said, "Right, I'm ready to come and I'm I'm not going to do the same thing. I definitely don't want to work for yeah, the LCBO, join
1: like Loblaws. or something. Yeah,
0: right. I definitely don't want to do that. I've had yeah. enough. So the last sort of six months of of living in Hong Kong was when I decided, okay, what what what's the problem, and what am I trying to? What do I need to fix that? I i can do
1: without working for some massive retailer and so what was that problem
0: so one of the one of the things that happened to me in the previous years with all these jobs was yeah. i was traveling around the world wine buying so i'll be going to chile and argentina and california australia new zealand mm-hmm. france italy spain you know and and it sounds like a absolutely you know, you're living the dream right you're flying around business class you have been taken to these wineries they don't put wineries in awful places too much mm-hmm. and they're always quite pretty
1: funnily enough next to the nude beaches everywhere you go <laughs> yeah
0: right not quite that bad but yeah thank god um yeah so i i remember i was in new zealand and i was in this hotel and i got an email from a winery that i that I knew a little bit and they said hey we heard you're in new zealand because obviously a buyer from a big supermarket turns up they all speak to each other sure. hey, this guy's here so we'd really love it if you came to our winery. Hmm. And I was like, okay, what what have you got? This is what I'm looking for. Because I've always had a very specific goal. If I'm going to New Zealand, it's not just generally. I'm looking for a solution to something, right? Mm-hmm. And um, this is what I'm after. Yeah, yeah, we can help with that when you come up. So I look at where it is. It's like a five-hour drive there hmm.
1: and back. Right? right, to this hobbit village.
0: Yeah, right to some random, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, I guess. And I said to him, look, it, it, there's just no way that I can spend a full day just coming to see you mm-hmm. if you want to come down to where i am and show me the wines then then that's okay but i definitely can't come to the winery oh no you must see it we're in a really really special place which is you know usually what they say sure so they said what if what if we provide a helicopter would you come by helicopter fascinating say,
1: okay i'll definitely do that yeah that sounds so, fun yeah
0: I, i'm i'm, sat, I'm in i've never obviously.
1: been in a helicopter it was... No one's ever invited me. Yes. It well, sounds like something you have to invite, you know, because if you do so. a tourist helicopter, this nah. feels a little tacky. The, Ve- the
0: Vegas Grand Canyon tour, I'm sure you could do that. I could do that. <laughs> Anyway, they, they provide this helicopter, and, and it's a really stupid story, really. But I was having breakfast in the in this really you know, nice hotel. I was chatting to this couple from Australia, and I said, I actually live in Melbourne, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the waitress comes over and says, Oh, Mr. Ingham, uh, your helicopter will be here in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and this couple was like, what is, it? What is this guy?
1: Like, can you pack up my beans?
0: Yeah, exactly. And then you hear it coming... And it landed on the garden in front of the hotel, wow. and they took my case. What in, a douchebag! Yeah, everyone, right. What an absolute? I, I actually plants. I did not feel in remotely like this was a great experience when it was happening. Yeah. The idea beforehand was, of course, I will have a helicopter take right. me to winery. Right. Who's going to say no to that? Of course. Once the helicopter's hovering above the garden and everyone's looking at you, and you're thinking, "Yeah, this makes me feeling like an idiot," and I got in the back of this. Really lovely pimped out helicopter, and the guys in the front, and he's like, "Okay, it's going to take us, you know, forty minutes, whatever. Yeah. Sit back, relax, whatever. Off we go." I was like, "This is amazing. This is this thing's quite amazing, cool, right? man. Yeah, it's cool. Landing in the middle of a winery, they're wow. all waiting for me. Wow. Like, it was ridiculous. I think yeah. is is the, is the word." And so that happened, and at the same time, I was I was talking to a winery, and I was saying. They were showing me the, you know, the glass production of the bottle, and they were like, we 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 ship the sand from the Middle East to New Zealand, then we blow it into glass bottles, then we fill it, then we ship it to the UK, and I'm and I'm buying millions of bottles of this stuff, right? Mm. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is this is quite a lot to deal with, yeah. and then I'm back on the business class flight, flying back to the UK, taking up the space of eight people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, yeah,
1: am the- tired people. Yeah. Than cranky people. Yeah, right. No camembert. And, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, well, what do you mean you've not got a Santa Million? Um, and I just felt like, wow, I'm really causing problems, or yeah. what I do is causing problems. You know, I I think importing sand, all that kind of stuff, it just, it just seemed ridiculous. Right. Flying around the world every six weeks, business class, ri- ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it'd it, it been on my mind that maybe maybe there needed to be a different way. And that, so I started pushing spies saying, what are you doing as far as sustainability is is concerned? What, you know, what projects are you working on? And it's all it's all in the farm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't use heavy machinery anymore. Of course. Or oh, we you know, do this water but treatment. Not on the
1: distribution chain. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. What are you doing
0: and that packaging. the customer can see? And it was there's some stuff happening, but not really anything significant. And I felt like something needed to be done mm-hmm. and no one was doing it, despite me saying if you do it, I'll buy it. Yeah. If you do it, I'll definitely buy it. You know, and I'll buy lots of it because I've got a thousand stores across Asia. You know, I'll definitely do it. And and they're saying, well, you know, there's a lot of work, a bit more research, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Right. And in the end, when I was deciding to leave Hong Kong, I thought, well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it myself. And that became the mission to to create wine that is not so formal because, you know, I alluded to how much I hated the wine courses. Sure. I really feel like wine, the category of wine and the enjoyment of wine is taken hostage by that small subject section of the wine industry. Yeah, Like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love Chablis well, and it's kind of and all like, that.
1: Well, it seems dichotomic. Dichotomic? Mm-hmm. Can you say that? Is that a word? It is now. There you go. Two different worlds of wine. There's the kind of like, let's say, taste-driven wine, the palate, defined palate kind of world of wine, and then there's the, like, kind of alternative to beer. At least yeah. here in North America, definitely. Yeah. Where it's, like, first-time kind of wine drinker, girls' night out or whatever have you brands. Yeah. That are, like, swill, still in that same glass bottle. Yep. You know, but it's just swill. And, like, why that's should fun. anyone dr- drink swill just because they have no taste?
0: Yeah, I, I, that's, that's definitely the problem is that, you know, if you look at the 100% of wine consumers – of people that buy wine are in the don't care. It's so true. Right? Every
1: time I go in our region around here, Niagara or um, Prince Edward County around Toronto, I ask these growers, you know, because I don't want to be insulting, but most of them are terrible. Like they shouldn't be growing wine. (laughs) They shouldn't. I, I, I see it as a as an assault on the senses when I drink a lot of this stuff and i and a lot of that of course is blended right mm-hmm. and uh so there's no like real uh the 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 terroir has no uh, verity. Is that oh, I don't know if I that think, sounds I, correct.
0: I, I think it's. I think it's. It could be. It can be good here, but it needs. Can be. It takes it a needs, lot of work. You have yeah, to bury you, the vines. You have to
1: keep them warm. You absolutely. have to like, do all it that. Gets work. very cold here. So a lot of people buy the cheapest swill that they can. Yeah. Then they mix it with the local wine so that that's it gets right. the kind of stamp on the bottle that, That's right. Right, and then they yeah. they have different distribution 25% channels. Twenty five percent you have to put in. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's that, but then there's also the stuff that's like you know. Authentic, mm-hmm. but a poor comparison of something you can buy for a cheaper price yep. that's imported from a veritable region, right? Uh, of a veritable heritage country.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can buy it much cheaper from overseas, right? Yeah,
1: and so it always fascinates me to see like what the motivations of the grower are, and often cases I'm told, like in fact, not often, every single time. That the mass majority of what we sell is sold from the farm to local buyers. That's right. And it's not tourists. It's exactly. not people coming yeah. to be like, "Wow, this is so fun! I'll That's buy a right. bottle." Exactly. So that blows my mind.
0: Well, it's, just, it's just like sort of rural and regional France is is the same. You know those those you know obviously this brands. The price points and,
1: different though. Price points is definitely different here, yeah. but,
0: you know, people go and fill up themselves, you're like, you know, and they've been doing it forever. Right. It's not like, you know, they have to worry about sustainability. They're going and filling their own containers, which mm-hmm. is sounds like a really great Whole Foods kind of, you know, project, but actually they've been doing it with wine in some parts Shampoo, of France forever. conditioner, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: and wine.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think I think you're right. There's a lot of work goes into it here, and then because of that, and because of, you know, just the costs of being in Canada anyway, makes these price points out of what you can buy from overseas better. Mm-hmm. It's a shame really.
1: So your approach to kind of like encouraging sustainability in the industry was So
0: I I wanted to, to sort of try and lead by example really. So mm-hmm. you know, I am I'm not a winemaker, but I'm gonna make wine. That was that was kind of what I had. I don't own a winery, but I'm gonna make wine. Yeah. And you know, this 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 funny quotes if you if you want a ten million dollar winery, start with a twenty million dollar winery, right? You know, it's not really it's not really a uh easy to set yourself up in a winery. Yeah. In the same way that let's say your mate who sets up a microbrewery, right? You can set up a microbrewery for probably twenty yeah, thousand dollars, right? You can, everything you, everything you need to do it. And if you if you can make good beer, there's there's people that will drink it. Mm-hmm. Same has happened with gin. You know, there's changes around the taxation of, of of gin that meant you didn't have to have a massive, enormous still, you could have mm-hmm. a small sort of one that made a small quantity. And all of a sudden People are trying to do it and getting good at it. Right. And that, those categories boom because no longer it's just be big corporate brands. It's little independent people just doing it themselves, right? Did
1: you see that Tesla released a beer?
0: Did they? Tesla release
1: a beer? Giga Brow. Oh, Giga Brow. And it was apparently it's uh, $100 a bottle. Wow. $100 a bottle. That sounds expensive. The most expensive beer in the world. Right. I don't know. That's just something uh, from my just Instagram need, feed.
0: They, they just need to focus on that Cybertruck and I forget about the bill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous company. Okay, <laughs> so I like this. So, okay, you weren't going to actually you know, buy a vineyard and produce your own yes. wine.
0: So I, I, I had this idea that I wanted to solve two problems that I felt was affecting me as a wine buyer. One is I want a wine that is casual, really. Mm. You yeah. know, that's delicious, casual, for... A, uh, for regular people that just want to enjoy a really nice wine don't really care about terroir or the diurnal shift of a, of the temperature of the of the region or who the winemaker is or even maybe even where it's from right mm-hmm. they just want to go out and enjoy a nice wine or sit at home and watch Netflix mm. and enjoy a nice wine so there's that group of customers which is the biggest group of customers, right? Okay. And then second to that is how could I put it in a glass bottle after seeing all this stuff around importing of sand and right. you know all that kind of stuff. So I thought I need to find a way to create to fix these two problems in one in one packaging, mm-hmm. which is which is where this has come from. So it's a it, it's made by a company in the UK called Frugal. They okay. are a packaging company and they've been working on this for a number of years. And, and the, the thing about these kind of these projects and these these packaging projects that are trying to be sustainable is what became really clear to me is there's no silver bullet that fixes everything in one go. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to to say this all the problems that there are with you know the emissions that come from making a bottle of wine. We solve it in one in one go. It's it's not possible. But what this does is it it, it uses so much less carbon than what glass does. Yeah. So it, when a glass bottle is made. Um, in the total wine production, 50% of the emissions of that wine bottle is just from making the glass bottle. Crazy. So it's, it's a huge amount, right? And so what we say is, well, if we don't have to make the glass bottle, but we can make it out something that's a lot less in, intensive on, on carbon emissions, then we can just remove that part of, the, of, of it to start with. And then when it ships, it's six times lighter. So that
1: also saves money. So what is this? What is this bottle? What's it made out of? This, may, this, this is made out of, this
0: is a, a paper board, it's called Outer. Mm-hmm. So this is um this is everything in it is made out of recycled material. Okay. So 100% of this is made from recycled products. And then the outer bit is the cardboard is um breaks apart you, you, you pull it apart and inside it is the little pouch that you would have in like a bag in box wine mm. so it's a, a little pouch now it is, it is made of plastic, plastic recycled
1: plastic and that's attached to
0: the this is attached top. to this yeah so when you when you pull it out the one cardboard piece? pulls apart it's what's one
1: piece or it's like glued on It's one plate.
0: it's one piece just pulls out yeah. okay and w- so it's it's made out of plastic but it's i think it's like 80 percent less plastic than a same size plastic bottle mm-hmm. um and it is recyclable if you live somewhere that recycles Plastic, right, right? Which, if you live in Singapore, great. Mm-hmm. If you live in Canada, maybe not no, as much. Well. They like, just send it for, to the Philippines and for, burn it. For, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, so we um, we're trying to say, well, let's take out the carbon. That, that if someone buys this bottle of wine versus the glass, then that carbon has been removed. Yeah. Right. And that and that's the 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 principle. We are working with the the company that that created this idea on the plastic, to say, can we create something that actually we can is a is a pouch that can biodegrade or or whatever like mm-hmm. can we make it fully fully done if that happens and that, I, I think we're getting close that would be 100% like it's right. 100% recycled and 100% recyclable so there's a bit of a bit of work to be done but we're we're on the we're on the path you know it started mm-hmm. so i believe it's better than glass and also you know people were saying to me at, at the very beginning well glass is one of the most Recyclable of all of all product. Well, that's true, but only a third of glass gets recycled, mm. and the, and that what doesn't get recycled takes four thousand years to, to degrade. So, it, yeah, maybe it is easily recyclable if you recycle it, but you're just not. You know, people are just not doing that. So that's where the uh, that's where the aim and the vision for it for it came from.
1: I think it's cool, and I think you told me a little of a story uh, before we jumped on the mic. You know, days ago, year, months ago weeks ago uh about the actual i almost said scribbles i did scribbles they go. are they are kind of scribbles you wrote this on a napkin
0: or some shit right i i, I wrote it so when i when i was talking to like a few wine handwritten I, I, yeah so when i was when i was talking to um to you know wineries about it i drew it on the bottle okay. so i got them to send me a blank bottle and i just used a sharpie and, and drew it and i was saying look you know this this needs to feel like i'm doing it myself that's my story, you know. Yeah. I've been the wine buyer that's, that that has had frustrations with with sustainability in this category, so I am going to do it myself. So I wrote, it, I said, I, I want it to look like this, and they said, Great, let's let's make it look like that, you know. Let's do it. Let's get on with it. The Journey's End is the winery, right? And they said, know, yeah, I'll put you in touch with uh, our design agency, and they'll you know get them to to do it do it properly. Great. So I had the meeting, told them what it was all about. You know, said I oh, got this punk attitude of mm-hmm. I'm doing it myself, like the Sex Pistols, like Vivian Westwood, you know, these guys couldn't play the guitar but made a great album. Yeah. They were a school teacher that didn't wasn't a fashion designer but became one of the best fashion designers. I, I'm not a winemaker, but I'm gonna make great wine, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was my inspiration. They came back and said, Yeah, yeah, absolutely no, no problem. And then, you know, come back with a with a pitch, and it was all you know exactly what you'd expect if you'd ask someone say, make me a punk brand you know it was exactly what you'd expect nice. it was tartan and whatever and oh and, and the bills fifty thousand pounds and i went no, back very to the, punk yeah right and i went back to i said is is this really punk you know, spending this money on this kind of stuff why can't we just do it ourselves and they said no let's let's just go with your design so that that was it it's, like, it's, it's what i wrote wow so um, love it it's exactly as i wrote it so, and then there's all little sort of quotes and icons that have meaning to me that's personal to me that actually i don't i don't explain unless you go on my website but yeah, yeah. you know no i don't explain
1: it okay so let's talk about the actual contents
0: yes so the liquid so yeah. i even despite what i say about customers and most customers don't care and that they're, they're the people i would like to drink it and sustainability the strategy is in the liquid, mm. okay? it's that's That has to be, that has always been at the very heart of it, that it's very easy to put bad wine in cool packaging. Right. And that happens at every level of wine, it happens from the entry level to the most premium, you know? It's not uncommon, you wouldn't believe it, but it definitely happens to put cheaper wine in really expensive packaging to make it look good, and sure. people fall for it, sure. right? So the strategies in the liquid so when we were creating it yeah, and I went down to South Africa and spent time with the winery there and said look I want this to be a really easy to drink wine there's a Sauvignon Blanc and a, and a Shiraz or a Syrah and I, I want the customer to when they drink it to just think yep great that is literally it I don't want it to be challenging or helping them you know educate their palate or any of this stuff you know I want to think about there's a group of lads on a night out and they haven't they, they decide to have red wine they share a bottle
1: Great. How did you find the vineyards to work with?
0: I, so I, luckily, I, having worked in wine for for you know many years, I I knew them and I knew who I knew who did what I wanted to do. Both from a term taste of, profile, both in terms of taste profile, but also. Their vineyard techniques and also what they do in their local communities. Those kind of things were important to mm-hmm. me. I did. I could have just gone to an industrial winery somewhere and said, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna buy a wine off you, and thanks very much." But, Carlo Gallo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We can, we can definitely talk about that, but. I knew these guys, and I, I respect them both in terms of how they do things, yeah. I respect the wines they make, and I really admire their community work in the local village in uh, in salauris Pass in, in
1: um, South Africa. It's, it's amazing. What is part it? of South Africa is it? Uh,
0: it's just on the edge of Stellenbosch. It's in a place called so uh Salauris Pass.
1: North of Cape Town.
0: It's about, yeah, it's about an hour drive out of Cape Town. And um, it's brilliant. I I've, I've been a couple of times over the years, and... You know, it's, it, again, that experience was really firmed up my, my desire and belief to do this because, you know, I remember being in South Africa and it was, they were talking about getting to day zero when they were going to run out of water. And it was mm-hmm. like day 20. And on day zero, we're going to run out of water. And that means that there's no water. yeah You know, so the little vineyard had to come up with all ways of getting around, you know, not being able to use water. They never actually got, Two days zero mm-hmm. in South Africa, but yeah. they were definitely close. And then I was in a restaurant in South Africa, and they you know, give them the menu, and I sat in the restaurant, great. All of a sudden, the lights go off, power cut, no e- no electricity, and they come round and put candles on the table and swap the menu out for a barbecue menu. And so they fire up the barbecue outside, and it's a different menu completely, right? And so. Power cuts in South Africa, no water, you know, glass being shipped around the world, flying business class, all these things were coming into me, mm-hmm. making me think, well, I really should do something. And if no one's going to do it, you know, clearly I'm going to do it. But I really admire what they do. And then the work with the, the community, you know, they, they feed the local community, they employ the local community. Sure. They have a, a kitchen that they run three times a day. The, the community can just go, take a take a you know container, there's a big pot of wow. you know, stew, they they doll it out it's run by a lady called joyce actually who has got a an interesting story down in that village she was going around the the shops at the end of the day basically trying to get whatever food they not sold make take it home craters of then going to families who's who's you know had serious problems with health that was happening in south africa and um trying to feed them and it was happening on the doorstep of this winery where mm. literally you can walk to the house and so she uh, the the winery said hey why don't we just provide you with the food? You don't need to go asking shops. Right, right, We'll just give it to you. Nice. You know, anything you need, just give it to you. So it's called the Journeys Down Foundation. So that kind of stuff is important. And I, you know, I met a kid who was really good at running, and they couldn't afford running shoes, so they just they just bought him running shoes. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then they provide the sc- the meals at the school, and so there's a if when the kids go to school, they get a meal joint at lunchtime, and and at that time when I was there, for some of those kids that was the only meal they would eat that day. You know. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is they realised that some kids don't come to school for whatever reason, so they ended up buying a car, employing a lady, or like a minibus, whatever, and she drives round. Whatever kids not turn up to school, she goes to their house. In them, the thing yeah. And the says, Why are you not at school? And it's purely from the point of view of if you come to school, you'll be fed. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is paid for by the vineyard, and and you know it's it's amazing work that they do, and uh, that was important to me that if I'm gonna you know do something, it has to be with a winery that. Is mindful of that kind of stuff. Sure, you know it's very easy in this day and age to go and buy an off the peg products, package it and sell it. And you know, I have some issues around that that I I don't really like. I, I give you one example. So, you know, people are trying to get this B corp status. Right? Yeah, it's very prevalent in the, in our industry right now and everywhere I guess. And I I don't have anything against B corp really, mm-hmm. um other than it's not really transparent about what the goal is. But you know, apart from that. What happens is you get these sort of celebrity brands. Is what there's a there's a tequila brand, and you know the the, the celebrity has got you know hundred million Instagram followers or whatever. Sure. Goes and buys a, a tequila that is out of a factory that makes sixty brands
1: of tequila. Mm-hmm. Badges it up. Oh yeah. And starts, then the marketing tells a unique story. Oh, yeah. I met old man. You know Juan Carlos exactly. is my buddy in, in the field. Yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know, Every once a year, I come up here. And I. Exactly. Know, All that stuff goes sacrament. on. Sacrament. And then. You're talking about The Rock. The Rock. Is that who you're talking about? No, no. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's actually talking about. Um, I can't remember.
0: Kendall Jenner. Kendall Jenner. So she has this, this eight tequila. Uh,
1: this is one of those people. Who are they called? The Kardashian yes, people? Yes, exactly. Okay. So, I don't know anything about them. So
0: those her, her tequila company is B Corps registered you know, because of all the great sustainable work they do, but she buys it off the peg from a, you know, a, a right, factory tequila. And then she's flying around on a private jet. Of course. And and that just sort of belittles, in my opinion, what B Corp stands for. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure B Corp has got some really strict measures around what it means to become a B Corp,
1: you know, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to s- say anything bad about that. But Yeah, there's many good B Corps that have, you know, a lot of great intentions and uh, and even internal processes to managing yeah. the sustainability of their absolutely. approaches. and I, I, I get that, and I think that's absolutely it's right. It's just it's a standard that you kind of can um, if you tick that about boxes. There's no, yeah. I don't think that there's like you know, kind of well, like, trans- there's, there's no people in lab coats
0: coming around and like it's not transparent. You, you know, look on the website like what what is, the, what is the goal? Yeah, like, you just don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. And also you got people flying around in private jets and then get their their. Particular brand registered B Corp.
1: Oh, it's so true. No, there's a lot of bullshit in this whole alcohol world of um yeah, I think of this so. kind of OEM supplier side of things. I I think so. It's just certainly not authentic.
0: Yeah. Know? That that has been my sort of biggest beef with it, really. Which is a shame because there's a lot of great companies striving to be B Corp
1: for the right reasons. There's also a lot of great suppliers that could reach markets better and find, you know, better, let's call it sustainable sales through partnerships with celebrities or other distribution channels. do it better, yeah. And and they're struggling to get great product out there. Yeah. You know, which is a shame. What was a shame?
0: I think so. I think so. So it was important to me to work with a winery that was credible and authentic and not just, you know, not just go and buy some product somewhere because, you know, I'm not a winemaker. Right. It was important to know them and have a relationship with them and for us to trust each other and respect each other and all that stuff was important. Uh, And it to be... For for the work that they do outside of wine to also be important. And these guys at Journey's End definitely, I would say that's them.
1: So this bottle is here because, um, I should say, this bottle is open, not because we drank <laughs> yeah, yeah. it. I'm not drunk it, no. So this is a packaging sample. That's is it? right. It, it and, was. Exactly. And the filled bottles have, did you say just arrived? They
0: just arrived to the agent here in Canada like yesterday. Okay. So they arrived yesterday. So he, he's bringing them up from Niagara, or wherever, wherever he is. Um, to have a taste through, I tasted them in London when I was there last time. But um, yeah, so I still haven't had in Canada the finished, the finished article. But in the UK, it's fine.
1: And this agent will be stocking it in the LCBO. Yeah, so we
0: went and met the LCBO in um, a couple of months ago now, and and went over to the to the office there and presented all all the work we've been doing and why we're doing it and mm-hmm. talked about everything there. I'd heard some horror stories, but actually they were they were great. You know, yeah, there was absolutely no effort. That's good questions It didn't feel like the headmaster's office. No, no, definitely not.
1: Definitely you didn't get not. the tacky.
0: I was really. I had to coach myself. I really was like, don't say that you're a wine buyer. Don't say that you're a wine buyer. You know, I didn't oh, yeah. want them to think like, hey, buy the book. I did you. Your, I did your job. it's will be easy. This is just gonna do this. Yeah, you know? I, I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. So. I, uh, well, I did tell them, but as part of my story, you know, yeah. I'm doing it for myself. But no, they were they were really great, and they said they got a they got a range review happening in the end of summer, and they would absolutely consider it. They congratulated me for for what was been achieved so far. We talked about all the listings that we've been winning in in parts parts of around the world, actually. So, um, so the were, product
1: is available elsewhere. It's just launched
0: in the UK, so it's li- it literally just launched, like in the last week in. Britain's biggest pub company, not the one that I worked for, but wow. one of them. I think it's the biggest. There's three that say they're the biggest. Okay. <laughs> and I worked for one, and the other two, uh, they've listed it. So the one I work for hasn't. I'm yeah. not sure if that's testament to how they feel. But um, the two that I didn't work for are both listed it, which is which is great news. It goes live, I think, in the next week, and I think, in their, in their pubs. Um, we listed it uh, in um mmi in the middle east in in dubai and they supply all the resorts in the seychelles and all them sort of places and you know we're having people are asking really good questions about it in terms of the customers because they're saying some people are totally about the cardboard bottle you know they're like wow this is great because it helps with our sustainability you know plan or you know we pay for the weight of our waste Yes. So, and whether that like, like the Seychelles, for example, they import a pallet of wine. The consumers in the fancy resort drink it, and then they have to send that pallet of wine back to Africa and they have to pay for that. Yeah. Whereas they can recycle this on the island, and mm-hmm. so they have to pay for that second shipping. So there's a saving for for those guys. There. Yeah, airlines are interested because of the weight, and it's mm-hmm. purely a calculation for those guys. They say we everything so smaller they bottles. Play. Yeah, they they well they personal bottles. They weigh everything on yeah. I think that would be pretty cool, but I'm nowhere near that. Okay. But um, yeah, they weigh everything that goes on the plane and everything that goes off, and even if they save one gram times every flight. Which so then,
1: up. if it's not personal bottles, they'll be pouring out of this in the first class and business class. Let's hope so. So you are making changes to yeah, that. I hope lifestyle. so. I,
0: I would. I would hope so. And then you know, it's um, so customers have have, have responded in. Uh, when I say customers, I mean buyers resellers yeah buyers buyers have responded to all sorts you know people love the fact that it doesn't talk any wine you know any wine nonsense we you know we talk about tasting notes we we say the Sauvignon Blanc is fresh and the, and the Shiraz is smooth That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. we don't you don't need to know anything else you know just drink it and then you'll decide and you know when it comes to the actual wine we were talking about you know the strategy in the wine um we could have easily gone with a base level wine it would have been great but I had this view that this potentially could be picked up by someone that doesn't really drink wine, hmm. and I don't want to put them off in their in their first glass or their first bottle. If if someone who's a bit you know younger, some sort of you know millennial, Gen Z, whatever, who's old enough to drink, buys it and it's the first time they bought a bottle of wine, it's got to deliver because I want them to come back and buy it again. Mm-hmm. And if we'd gone too low in the wine, um, which is traditionally what happens when wines are made for entry level sort of people just starting out, mm-hmm. then they're just going to say, "Yeah, I don't really like wine." Well, it's because you've not had a good one, is, is the honest answer. So you stand
1: by the quality. We you expect it up. Really we good. Expect it
0: up, absolutely.
1: I can't wait to taste this next week. And um, so, what's the road ahead immediately uh, for people listening around the world, uh, specific regions where they will be able to find this?
0: Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things happening. One is if you live in the UK or the Middle East mm-hmm. or hopefully Canada, if we can convince the LCBO, then you know, you should be able to go to your local pub, restaurant, or bar, or, or, or supermarket, liquor store, and buy it on the shelf. And and one of the reasons why it's important to me that it is a bottle is so it goes on the shelf with other bottles. Right. You know, I really want it to be um, available right next to the glass bottle. It's a choice right there, not hidden with other different formats, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what well, I think we we we'll get in there with that.
1: Yeah, it'll stand out. It'll be yeah, interesting. It, Something it, new.
0: Exactly. That's right. Yeah, so, so that's the case there. And then... The other side of it is, you know, I I really would like to make local production, you know, it's not necessarily in Canada, but, you know, we've been speaking to wineries in Chile and Argentina and Australia and saying, why don't we do that, but but there, you know, Mm. so instead of even shipping it from South Africa, why don't we make wine in Australia for the Australian market and make it in Chile for the South American market, try and make it so it doesn't move around, you know, um, the world too much. Mm -hmm. That would be, that would be the, the perfect sort of scenario. I love it.
1: So it's only the beginning.
0: I I really hope so.
1: Are you excited?
0: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long sort of time coming really. I I I bought one of those, you know, those white pens that you can write on glass and I had this view of Hong Kong and I I was writing this is this is the problem. This is the problem. What's the solution? And right. I had this huge big like crazy uh, gonna say beautiful mind but that is definitely sure. not <laughs> that's definitely not the case <laughs> but i wrote it all on 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 the on the window yeah. and yeah, you know, my plan and and slowly but surely it's it's uh, you know a step it's coming time, to again. fruition there's lots of ups and downs in starting a new business obviously i worked corporate forever yeah, right? right and this isn't this, is, this is totally new to me and i'm trying to not enjoy the highs too much and not be put off by the lows too mm-hmm. much i'm trying mm-hmm. to just evenly go through the middle. You know the we we talk here about the the maybe, you know, the maybe proverb. You heard that? Uh, no. you know, that's the 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 guy that's it's a Chinese proverb, the guy on the farm and his his um his horse runs off and the neighbours say Oh, you know, you've lost your horse. How terrible! He said, oh, maybe. Then the next day, the horse comes back, but brings a load of wild horses. Oh, how lucky! Well, maybe. Then his son is trying to tame one of the horses, breaks his leg. Oh, no! How terrible! Maybe. Then the army turn up looking to recruit the next day, but they can't take him because his son got a broken leg. Oh, how lucky! Oh, maybe. So I try and navigate this maybe proverb. Yeah. I don't enjoy the highs too much, and I don't enjoy the. Or I don't get disappointed by the lows too much. I just navigate through.
1: That's true entrepreneurship because there's always, you know. There's no ultimate destination, right? It is just the way. Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm used to. I'm getting used to people telling me no. That's that's, uh, you know, I'm getting quite good at that.
1: Yeah, it's something that I, I just you know, it's funny because like yeah, it just goes through your brain. It's like mm. okay, no. Well, you're on to the next thing. All right,
0: that's right. Exactly. If no, just gets me to a quicker yes somewhere else.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you were never going to be a yes, so yeah, it's not exactly. really a no. Exactly. It's just a maybe.
0: So that's a new that's a new experience for me, all that kind of stuff. I'm used to having power, you know, in the yeah. supermarket. I just gave that all. I stopped all that.
1: <laughs> it's good. The humility of entrepreneurship. Yeah, cool. Um, and it's kind of cool to see that you are uh, doing this from here because... Yes. This is perhaps one of the toughest places to be in the alcohol business in the world. I realize. Because for all of our listeners who haven't really kind of clued in, who might be outside of Ontario and outside of Canada in Ontario, we have this thing called the LCBO, which is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. And they are the world's number one in terms of volume buyer. They're
0: way up there. I think there might be one or two, something like that, but massive.
1: So they buy for all of us lovely citizens and mm-hmm. distribute it into the shops that we're allowed to purchase this wonderful.
0: That's correct. That's what they are. Yeah, it's quite um, a, quite an interesting setup here, definitely.
1: It is. It's weird. So like all the buyers buy through the LCBO. They import stuff. They sell it to the LCBO and then buy it back from the LCBO's warehouses. That's right.
0: Even if, even if you want to be get listed in a local restaurant and not yeah. even in the LCBO store, it right. still has to be approved by the license. Yeah, right? It's got to all go through the LCBO.
1: It's like the LCBO is... Yeah, it's definitely... It's we're. It, it's very strange. It's very strange. There's not many places in the world where prohibition kind of had lasting effects like that. Right. <laughs> and yet, like back in those days, Toronto <laughs> yeah. supplied booze to mm. the States. I know, right? Quite a lot of booze was made here and That's shipped right. across. Exactly.
0: Right? When you go into the LCBO office, they've got these images up of their old old stores going back like to the beginning and they yeah. look like old sort of like bootlegger kind of places it's
1: you know? <laughs> <laughs> crazy man
0: yeah it's good so nice. yeah it's been, been, been an interesting journey so far and um uh, hopefully will it will continue and people will get to get to try it enjoy the wine and not have to worry too much about the packaging and can just chuck it in the recycling and it's not a thing
1: yeah wicked man well um, it's super exciting that you're doing this Thank you for sharing your story with us and coming on the podcast. Pleasure.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me. It's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. That was cool.